I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. It's looking likely that the Supreme Court will ban the use of affirmative action in college admissions. That ruling could come as early as Tuesday. The bench is considering the question, is any consideration of race in admissions an act of racial discrimination? Since the 1960s, affirmative action has been a tool in place to diversify student populations and to remedy historical discriminations, particularly against Black, Hispanic, and Indigenous groups. Political experts say the court is poised to strike down two specific race-based admissions programs that they're reviewing, one at Harvard and the other at the University of North Carolina. California has been a kind of testing ground for whether or not affirmative action works. In 1996, voters approved Proposition 209, which effectively banned affirmative action in public universities and government programs. That meant that institutions like the UCs have had to fight to preserve on-campus diversity in other ways. In fact, California has had to pioneer race-blind efforts to build diverse student bodies. Pretty soon, private universities like Stanford that were not affected by Prop 209 may have to use the blueprints set by institutions like the UCs. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Nanette Asimov will break down what's at stake in California. How has the nearly three-decade ban of affirmative action at public universities affected their student populations? And has the consideration of race in admissions actually worked at private universities? Nanette Asimov, thanks for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Nanette, there are two cases sitting in front of the Supreme Court right now that will decide the future of race-based affirmative action in higher education across the nation. The legal battle over race as a factor in admissions has been a decades-long one. How did we get to this point? Well, you're right. It has gone on for decades. And most of the decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court have been favorable to affirmative action or the ability of colleges to consider race in their admissions decisions. And it's unclear which way this will go, but the betting public is saying that it could be the end of being able to consider race as part of admission. So one of the most famous cases is from 1978, known as the Backey case for Alan Backey, who tried twice to get into UC Davis. And he was a white man and was denied. And the high court ruled that schools could consider an applicant's race to promote campus diversity, but they could not use quotas as they had been using. And so that was a very significant case. And then the the next one by the U.S. Supreme Court really jumps to 2003 and the University of Michigan Law School, which said the school was entitled to take race into account in admissions. And that affirmed that again, as was the case in 2016 when the University of Texas was allowed to continue considering race and ethnicity for some of its applicants. The high court could indeed just say that that is in fact a discriminatory practice and that they can't. And California has had that since 1996. California does not allow any universities public or public agencies to take race into consideration in their hiring or admissions decisions. 
Affirmative action in higher education has endured for the most part because there's been moderate judges like Justice Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court bench. But that all changed since former President Donald Trump reshaped the court into a conservative majority. Tell me, what is the conservative argument right now? It's getting a lot of support from Republicans and from other conservatives across the country. That's right. So consider what's going on at Harvard. The plaintiffs in the current case are a group called Students for Fair Admissions. And that's a nonprofit that says it has more than 20,000 members, students, parents, and other people. It's based in Virginia. And they are saying that if you look at Harvard, which is one of the defendants in, in these cases, they have the same percentage of African-Americans, Latinos, whites, and Asian-Americans throughout the years for each racial group, that they've gone unchanged, essentially, not significantly over time. If you're a liberal thinker, you might say, well, that's kind of a good thing because it opens up society to these long excluded groups. But if you think like a conservative, you might say, no, that's really kind of unfair. It's racial balancing is the word that this group uses. And they say the only fair way to admit students to a university is through academic merit, through scores, and that taking other elements into consideration, which many schools call holistic admissions, considering factors beyond scores like your upbringing or your race, these things are unfair and should be omitted. And now the conservative court appears likely to agree with that. Now, California has just been kind of this testing ground for whether affirmative action works or not, because as you mentioned, in 1996, California voters outlawed affirmative action in public colleges and other agencies by approving Prop 209. Private universities have been excluded for that. And, you know, have we been able to get enough information to understand since that's happened? How did diversity get affected at institutions like the University of California? The University of California submitted a brief in these cases arguing that they are the testing ground. And when affirmative action was removed almost 30 years ago, it's been bad news for racial minorities. For example, they say that shortly after voters passed Prop 209 in California, enrollment of racial minorities dropped by at least 12% in the first three years, and much more so at UCLA and UC Berkeley, which are the flagship campuses that are harder to get into. And then if you look more recently, you know, how has that affected people over time? Well, in 2019, Black students represented 3.87% of the freshman class across all of UC's nine undergraduate campuses. And that's less than the 4.2% there was before 209. It's not a tremendous amount less, but you would expect that over 30 years, students would increase their enrollment. UC attributes that to Prop 209. And the other thing they note in a study is that Prop 209 discouraged many highly qualified, underrepresented students from applying to any UC campuses because they 
came to believe that they would be unlikely to be admitted. And that may or may not be true, but it had a chilling effect. UC estimates that more than 200 Black students and 800 Latino students, or 7% of all underrepresented applicants, were discouraged from applying in the three years after Prop 209 passed. Since private universities were not affected by Proposition 209, did affirmative action help diversify student bodies at places like Stanford? Nanette will share after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Annette Asimov, what did the UCs have to do to diversify their student populations since Prop 209 outlawed affirmative action? And were those strategies successful? They have been trying for 30 years to do what they call race-neutral measures. What they say is that they've spent actually half a billion dollars on these kinds of programs, and they currently reach maybe 200,000 students. And the proxy that they use for race and ethnicity is low income and people from disadvantaged schools. And UC says that Latinos have largely benefited from this, but so have whites and Asian Americans, but not black or Native Americans. They have also taken some other pretty extraordinary measures. For example, in California since 2009, There's automatic admissions for the top 9% of high school students statewide are admitted and also the top 9% from every single high school is guaranteed admission to at least one UC. According to UC, they say it's not substantially increased the racial diversity of students who are admitted to UC. And so they are arguing strongly against eliminating affirmative action. Mm -hmm. So... What has happened on private schools since they weren't affected by Prop 209? What has affirmative action in college admissions institutions like Stanford look like? And were they actually able to achieve more diversity in their student demographics? Well, they say they are. So Stanford and MIT are two of the private universities that submitted briefs in these cases. And they say that Using affirmative action has led to gradual improvements in diversity on their campuses, especially in science, technology, engineering, and math, which are called STEM fields. They credit affirmative action with pumping up the percentage of Black graduates working in those fields from 6% in 2010 to 7.1% in 2019. And for Latinos, where it was 5.5% working those fields in 2010, now it's 7.7%. And this is from the active invitation and consideration of admitting students by their race or ethnicity into universities. And another school, San Francisco's University of San Francisco, they tripled their Black enrollment since 2016 with a very focused program on recruiting and retaining Black students. So. Because there's this, you know, widespread anticipation that the court will ban affirmative action, 
I'm guessing that California private universities might be scrambling right now, thinking of alternative methods that they'll have to employ in order to keep race as some kind of a factor in admissions. What kind of alternative methods are they thinking of? Well, they they really are. I mean, I just will say those Stanford and MIT, in their brief, they said, quote, no race neutral alternative exists for fostering diversity. They said simply relying on socioeconomic factors has shown to be insufficient. USF told me that, for instance, if the common app for colleges has to eliminate its checkbox for race, ethnicity, and gender because of this ruling, they're simply going to ask applicants to write an essay and tell them who they are. I asked them, is that going to be legal? Can you, can you say, well, just tell me what race you are? And they, they didn't answer me precisely on, on that, you know, what they would do, whether that's legal. But they said something very interesting when I talked to that school, which is a Jesuit university. They said that diversity and equity is part of the Catholic identity. They said it would impinge upon our religious freedom for the government to stop us from admitting students that we want to admit. So that's going to shape up to be an interesting argument if they pursue that. But, you know, these schools are going to look for the proxies that the University of California and California State University have done for 30 years, looking for students whose parents maybe never went to college and will be first-time college enrollers. They're looking for poverty rates or students by whether they're low income and things like that. These are the socioeconomic factors that they can employ if, if using race is outlawed. Well, Nanette, since you spoke to leaders at, you know, higher education institutions for your reporting, what did they share with you about their concerns and what they're most worried about at this moment before the ruling comes down? Ultimately, they will lose the value of having a diverse campus, that they will lose the benefit of having more Black, Latino, Native American students. That's what they're worried about. One example that they gave at Stanford was the people who came to realize that facial recognition software is far better at recognizing white faces than black faces. You know, those are two black women, one from MIT and one from Stanford. And in their arguments, these universities say, you know, what what if these people were not able to be admitted? The fear of these universities is that that's going to overtake the data and these students will be excluded or won't apply. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. And that it would be a loss to everyone, not just these students. That's what they say. Nanette, thank you so much for your reporting. I appreciate you sharing it with me. Thank you. Nanette Asimov is a higher education reporter at The Chronicle. Find her reporting at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to Gary Baca for editing this episode, Laura Wenis for the production help, and to you for listening. (laughs) 